Thanks. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word even now in the 21st century that we might know more about you and those who have gone before us who have followed you. And we thank you for the importance of the word, the power of the word. We thank you that our our strength is joy in you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given this word which can be understood and that you've sent people prepared and appointed to give it sense that we might understand it. So we ask now as the pastor comes forward to bring the word, to expound on your word, that your spirit will work in our midst, that we would have the sense of it, that we would be empowered with the strength and the joy that only you can give to go out and be your light and salt in this world. We pray this for your glory, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. Good job of Rob reading that. Not too many could read all those names the way you did, so hallelujah to that, brother. And also the portion that you read, that's a very challenging portion. You know, the one that's reading the word to uh, pronounce the word clearly, and so that people get the sense of it. And uh, there's an understanding that's the benefit from it all. So Galatians chapter 3, a portion that we're going to concentrate on is verses 10 to 14, but I'd like to read the preceding verses because it's significant to what we're going to talk about this morning. So Galatians 3, I'm going to start at verse 1, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to concentrate on verse 10 and following. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached before the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. But all those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit 
through faith. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. You know, the Bible asks some big questions. I want you to think for a minute, what are some of the big questions that the Bible asks us? Can anybody think of a question that the Bible raises? A verse with a question in it. Go ahead, Mike. Ah, I like that one right in Galatians 4. Jeannie, you had your hand up. Okay, Kelly. Ah, thank you, Mark. I love that. Harrison. You guys are on, on the money today. You got another one, Jeannie? Oh, I like that. Mike. Okay, Chrissy. Chrissy. Whole world and loses his own soul. Very good. Anybody else? Well, the Bible is loaded with important questions, and I have a few that I want to add to that list. Some of them I may repeat. Forgive me if I do. What think ye of Christ? That's Jesus' word. What do you think of Christ? Who is he? Next, John 6, I think that was alluded to. To whom shall we go? Or in the book of Micah, what does the Lord require of us? Hmm, that'd be a great question to ask and for people to ask themselves. What does the Lord require of us? Or how about John 3? This was mentioned. How can a man be born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? Or how about Matthew 19, the rich young ruler that says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or the Philippian jailer, What must I do to be saved? How about Job? Man dies and wastes away. Yea, a man gives up his spirit or expires. And where is he? Another vital, important question. But the one that I want to zoom in on is this question. How can man be justified with God? Job 25, verse 4. Now, you might say, what am I bringing this up for? Because I think it has a lot of relevance to the book of Galatians. How can man be justified with God? And we have the answer right here in the New Testament. This is, I call, the big answer. God is just and the justifier of Him. Who's Him? Jesus. Of Him who believes... No, of the person, that is. The, the one who's doing the believing. The justifier of Him who believes, that would be us, in Jesus. That's an amazing good news passage that God is willing to be just. He's not compromising Himself. Because He saves a sinner doesn't mean that He's he's being loosey-goosey, that He's being mushy, that He's compromising in any fashion. Not at all. God's justice is number one. And He's also not only going to maintain His own justice, but He's able to justify those undeserving, guilty, but those who believe in Jesus. 
You know, we're accused sometimes because we're not a ceremonial, sacramental type church that's putting a lot of emphasis or any or much emphasis, if at all, on the disposal of graces imputed to us or disposed to us by the church. The treasures that the church supposedly have in some circles is what the audience must receive in order them to get benefits of grace. But we believe that the benefit of God's ultimate and most important grace is by simply believing in Jesus. It's so simple. Believing in Jesus. And if you're saved, you can say, I believe in Jesus. With all of my heart, with all of my soul, I know whom I have believed. And therefore, I can answer that big question, how can I be justified with God? By believing in Jesus. He's your only outlet. He's your only hope. He's your only avenue to getting right with God. We're born wrong with God, and the only way we can be made right with God is by believing that God has provided the way by giving Christ so that faith in Him will allow God to justify salvation to us and maintain His own justice. You know, when Israel went into the land, there was something that they had to do first. This is after they crossed the Jordan River. And there was two places that they were supposed to set up, you could say, oracles. One was Mount Gerizim, and the other was Mount Ebal, E-B-A-L. And from each of these two sites, there was supposed to be some proclamations. One mount, does anybody know which mount was the mount of blessing and which one was the mount of cursing? I get them confused too. I would think Ebal, I always try to say Ebal, ball, you know, ball, blessing, no, it's the other way around. Ebal is the mount of cursing and Gerizim is the mount, is the mount for blessing. And you know, that's the truth that there's blessing and cursing. On both ends. And if you read the end of Deuteronomy 27 into chapter 28, the first things that are read are the cursings and then the blessings that follow. And how does that relate to the book of Galatians? Because all the ones that are violated against, cursings will ensue for the one who violates the commandments of God. But there are blessings that flow from the obedient. And the only way in which we could become obedient children of God is by believing in Jesus. Because Jesus is the commandment keeper. He kept what you and I could never have kept. He kept it perfectly. He kept the law, which would be out of our range to possibly be able to keep. But He did that for us. So he was a substitute in that sense of being a law keeper for us, the law breakers. And we know from James chapter 2, it says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. So that's all it would take would be to fall short in one commandment. We've broken them all. When the Israelites were down below on the mount and Moses was up there receiving the Ten Commandments, what was the first commandment? To love the Lord your God and worship Him and Him only. And what were the children of Israel doing down below? They had already erected a false god that they were worshiping. 
the one commandment, the greatest commandment they were violating. And as a result, all the Ten Commandments, when Moses come down, he breaks the tablets of stone in fury. The meekest man on the earth was enraged that they would think about going in that direction simply because Moses delayed his coming. That's what prompted it. They said, this man delayeth his coming. You know, because Jesus hasn't returned, and we all should be looking for His return and wanting His return, it can be used of the devil in our own sort of infidel minds that we want to erect something that we can worship in place of the one who alone is worthy of worship. And so delaying can sometimes be used to hinder our focus on the true worship of God. Okay, so getting to Galatians chapter 3 here. In the whole book of Galatians is really basically about justification by faith. And you know, a church like ours that is emphatic on the word, we, you could say that we're a word church, not a word faith church because of the connotation of what that means, but a word church. We believe that we need to live like Jesus says, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We hopefully come hungrily to want to hear the word. We wake up in our mornings and before we go to bed or whenever, daily we are reading the word of God because that's what feeds our hungry soul. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And one of the ways in which we fill that hunger and thirst is by reading the word. And if you're having trouble reading the Word and having the desire to it, ask God, say, Lord, give me an appetite. My son's been losing some weight lately. He's got a lot of work going on. And I said, your appetite needs to be increased. So I said to him, at the office, bring the best snacks you can possibly think of, you know. Order out something of the best kind of food that you want to have so that you can put some pounds on. Well, for us spiritually, the Bible says the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And we want to be those that are diligent and we want our souls to be enlarged and the Word of God can do that. But sometimes we can become so doctrinally emphatic that we lose out sometimes on the practical dimensions of our Christian life. And that's unfortunate. God does not intend it to be that way. You could say like, the tracks are the doctrine of the Bible, and we're the train that are on the tracks. And it's important that we stay on the tracks, but we still need to be aware of the world in which we're traveling through. In the difficulties, the good days, the bad days, the sunshine, the cloudy days, the tough times, as well as the good times, how we need to have a balance as far as our understanding of doctrine with our practical life. The book of Ephesians has been well said that the first three chapters are all about doctrine. The last three chapters are all about walk. The walk of the Christian. We need to have that good sound doctrine because it's going to keep us on track. But also we also need that practical lifestyle to go along. Now to Paul... As he looks on the Galatians, again, he repeats the word, Oh foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? Who has deceived you? You have been removed from the grace of God to another gospel. You have turned your backs on the life of faith and are walking in the law of legalism. 
the life of legalism. Jesus was evidently, graphically portrayed before them as crucified. And that's why they they were saved. That's what saves us. Like when Spurgeon went into the service, practically the only person in the service, the pastor couldn't even get there because of the snowstorm, the janitor, whoever he was, the deacon, he, he noticed the young man sitting in the back. He turned to Isaiah 45, 22 and read, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And he talked about the serpent that was lifted up on the pole. And Jesus, remember, uses that example as one who is going to be lifted up on the cross. And all who look will live. Look, look, look and live. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the Galatians. You had Christ graphically portrayed before you. You had heard about the crucifixion. You were told about the sufferings of Christ on Calvary. You believed it. And by believing, you received the Spirit. How then could you turn from the life of living in the Spirit now back to the flesh? Shame on them. Paul is enraged about this disgusting maneuver that has been imposed on them by the Judaizers to try them to bribe, to try to bribe them back into a lifestyle of Judaism when Christianity now is in full bloom and should be accepted. I'd like to read a portion from a book I was reading that I think help will help us understand the practical side of the book of Galatians. Because I say it can be very easily studied as a doctrinal book and we don't seem to get maybe sort of the nuts and bolts about how does that affect my life? What does it mean for me personally? Yes, I got un- I understand the doctrine of justification. I know what it means to have faith. I know who Jesus is, etc. And all the important things that the book of Galatians pronounces, but we still can fall short, practically speaking. Listen to what this author says. Galatians teaches that we are made right with God based on what Christ has done rather than what we do. The central message of Galatians is that the freeness of God's grace and love is not only the gateway, but also the pathway of the Christian's life. Now that's an important expression. The book of Galatians, which teaches freely the doctrine of God's free grace and love, is not only the gateway, but the pathway. In other words, it just doesn't get us in the door. Justification just doesn't get us into the door and end there, and our Christian life is all fine and settled and done with. No, it's a It's more than just a gateway. It's a pathway that follows as well. In the course of the letter, Paul explains the doctrine of justification by faith in order to help the Galatians live healthy Christian lives. Justification represents the objective side of our salvation, but Paul also speaks of speaks of the subjective side of salvation, the love of Christ, such as when he speaks of the Son of God who loved me, that's a subjective thing, and gave himself for me, the subjective thing. A healthy Christian life is built on both the objective, that's the doctrinal side, and the subjective sides of the gospel. The justification that flows from the work of Christ and the love that flows 
from the heart of Christ. Get that point. Justification flows from the work of Christ and the love that flows from the heart of Christ. Some, this author goes on to say, that some live their lives as Christians simply on the basis of the love for Christ, which is wonderful and excellent, but also we need to emphasize the love from Christ. That Jesus isn't just a past figure of history, but He's a current one of my everyday life that I need to tap into, that I need to uphold, that I need to receive on a daily basis communions from Him. We need to like have the phone line open all the time because on the other end we obviously have a 24-7 service that's provided to us. And we need to tap into that because we can fall into some kind of a, a rigid routine of life where we're missing out on the heart of what Christianity really is, and it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what John Newton wrote, who was not just the, uh, a great uh, songwriter and writer uh, who wrote the uh, Amazing Grace song, but he was also a pastor, and he writes this to a fellow member. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinks of you? But let not you, but let not all you feel discourage you. Let not all you feel discourage you. Feelings can be very difficult. It's like a heaviness that you just can't seem to shake. And you feel somewhat down and you, you don't know what to attribute it to. Did you eat too much and you feel kind of slouchy? Or did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're moody? Or you just something didn't go right that you wanted to? You didn't hear what you were hoping to hear from the doctor or from a family member? And it just leaves you with a kind of a sour taste and there's this sort of heavy feeling of guilt. Maybe things aren't going well in, the, in your marriage and you're carrying that with you and it just weighs you down. Let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician, that's our great physician, is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate, and if he cast none out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. Are we weak, but he is strong? Most of our complaints are owing and unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. Most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. You see, John Newton helps us to see that one reason we have a diminished awareness of the heart of Christ is that we are blindly operating out of a legal spirit. Now, no one would want to say that they're a legalist, and I'm sure that uh, there aren't any obvious reasons that you could say, I know I'm a legalist. I don't think anybody wants to be one or claim one. And I don't think that the book and that the spirit of of the Bible necessarily um, uh, obedience to it uh, 
a, a, a faithful reading and trusting and obeying and so on. It's not legalistic. That's not legalism. That's the life of Christ. The Word... Now remember, when the children of Israel went through the wilderness, there was what was called the, the two silver trumpets. You get this in Numbers chapter 10. And when 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 signals had to be sent to the Israelites, those two silver trumpets were used to blow. And there are three reasons why the silver trumpets were to blow. To gather the assembly together, to give them marching orders about leaving, or if there was an imminent threat of an enemy nearby. That's why it says in Corinthians, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? Well, what kind of sound do we get from the Lord? The two silver trumpets, one being the trumpet of the written Word of God, and the other trumpet being the life-giving Spirit of God. And these two harmonize with one another. That's why I think it's vital that we be faithful readers of the Word in hopes and expectation that that Spirit-inspired Word will come alive in our hearts and that it will yoke us and unite us to our risen head, the Lord Jesus, from whom we desire to have a life filled with Him that motivates us to live for the Lord. You know, there are two religions in the world. You've probably heard me say this before. Two religions in the whole world. One is do and the other one is done. If you're in the religion of done, then you're in for it. You're in trouble. You're going to be having a difficult life. And I'm talking about believers now. Sometimes we still think that we're in the religion of do because do makes us acceptable to God. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't want to please Him. Paul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? We should be willing to, as it says, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your intelligent spiritual worship to Him. We certainly owe it to Him. He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him who died for them and rose again. That should be our response to Him. But also we need to gain a response from Him. And that's what I want to emphasize. That understand the distinction between the two. We can be living for Him, but we might not be living from Him. And I think the Galatians were having this problem where Paul's saying, now wait a minute, did you not believe and then start with the Spirit? Why are you going back to a legalistic Spirit? Why don't you live your life in the Spirit? Romans chapter 8, maybe the most important chapter in all of the Bible, talks about the believer living the life in the Spirit. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So we need to have the spiritual mindset. We need to have that communion with the Lord. Let me move on here. Okay. Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? These verses clear that right up very much. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Praise the Lord that it's solely, strictly on grace and grace alone that we have a right standing with God. It is no longer on the basis of works. And that's what the Galatians were being 
influenced by the necessity to have to be circumcised, to keep certain days, Sabbath days, etc., etc. It was all shifting the emphasis from the satisfaction that we have in God completing the work for us, whereas the Galatian Judaistic impressions were now that we have to do something to gain God's favor to us, and we have to therefore do these things. Now, if we go to our text in Galatians, that tells us here in verse 10 and following, we'll just go through this, it's not going to be too long. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So therefore, anyone that wants to try to put themselves under all that the law says, and the law is not merely the Ten Commandments, it would be much more expansive than that. Verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. There's that word evident. Christ was evidently set before them as one portrayed, as crucified. It was evident before them. And this should also be evident that no one therefore could be justified before God by the law. And why? Because the scripture says the righteous or the just shall live by faith. That's what fuels us is faith. What doesn't fuel us is law. We have to understand the distinction between the two. Now here's, here is the most awesome thing about this portion, and that's verse 13 here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ was made a curse for us. The world would not understand the crucifixion this way at all. But you see, we had said before how Christ was a law keeper for us. But on the cross, He took on our law breaking. And as a result of a law breaker, what law breakers deserved, because everyone, anyone who does not live by the law perfectly would be accursed. And yet here it's telling us that the one who was the law keeper became for us the law breaker. Our law breaking became his law breaking. So therefore God had to bring a curse upon his son to take the judgment that our sins of law breaking otherwise would deserve. The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. And Jesus became at that point a transgressor of the law. He made himself accountable for you and I. How grateful we ought to be to Jesus for what he did on our behalf. He removed the offenses before God by being made a curse for us and being made a curse for us. He's now become our redeemer because he's redeemed us from the curse into a life of liberty. That doesn't end at all. The next verse tells us that Christ, so that Christ Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. See, the Judaizers were teaching the Gentiles, you have to become a Jew, in essence. And this verse is telling us that in Christ, the Gentiles received the blessing that was promised to Abraham. How did that happen? First of all, let's look at the promises that were made to Abraham who's considered the father of the faithful. 
In you all the families, who's you? Abraham. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12.3 Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis 18.18 In your your offspring shall all the nations of the earth, that's Abraham's offspring, shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's Abraham. So here again, all nations, all nations of the earth will be blessed. All families of the earth will be blessed. How is that promise fulfilled? It could only have been fulfilled in Christ, who was the seed of Abraham's. Because as we get right here, this verse, and I hope I'm not going too fast for you. I hope you're following me. This is Matthew. This is how the New Testament opens up. Matthew 1.1 This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. That's the kingly line. The son of Abraham. That Abraham is the one. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brother. So it's important. And of course, Matthew was written to the Jews. So the Jews would find this very significant that Jesus is pedigree would go back to David, but also it's being traced back to Abraham. He was, in other words, in the family of the Jews, but we know that in that Jew Abraham, all nations, non-Jewish nations, which is what the Gentiles are, would be blessed. You know, when Jesus rises from the dead, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Before that, when Jesus didn't rise from the dead, when He was with the disciples for three, three and a half years, He says to them when He commissions them to go out, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And if you look at this next verse here, Romans 15, helps us to understand why Jesus' ministry in His earthly time would be restricted to the Jews is told us here in this verse. This is Romans 15, 8. Following, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, not the Gentiles, the circumcised are the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. In other words, that He would be born of a certain tribe, He would be born in Bethlehem, that He would fulfill this, fulfill that, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's. And in order, now this is it. Why did he fulfill all that? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. But Jesus' servantship was to the circumcised. But ultimately it was going to result in the Gentiles being able to glorify God. As it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, these are various passages in the Old Testament. These are all the different promised portions. Rejoice, O you Gentiles, with His people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. All the peoples, that's the nations. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's Jesus. And even He who arises that's raised up, talking about His resurrection, to rule the Gentiles in Him, in Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. That's really what verse 14 is saying to us in Galatians 3. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise through faith. You could say that the fence was around Israel in the Old Testament And then when Christ comes and rises from the dead, that 
you could say that the, the fence is broken and now the, the, the vine goes over the walls and the gospel is going out into all the world and you and I who are two centuries beyond the cross uh, are recipients of this wonderful truth that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. Again, that word spirit is important because he says, how did you get into this faith anyway? By faith in Christ, which gave you the spirit. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect through the flesh? See, they're going, he's charging them with going backwards. The spirit liberates you. You're included in the spiritual family of God. And Jesus has risen risen from the dead. And He's King. He's ruler over the Gentiles. And it's in Him that we trust and in Him that we hope. Rejoice, O you Gentiles. Our rejoicing is a spirit of excitement. We're not excluded anymore. We're not second class. We're not the dogs. We're not the Syrophoenicians that are on the outskirts. We are now in the inner family of God. We are blessed with Abraham. For a Jew to uh, think of themselves as not being tied in with Abraham, that would be a serious incrimination. But Jesus says, Abraham's not your father. If Abraham was your true spiritual father, you would love me. You would do the works of Abraham. You would have faith in me. But no, you don't. You're fornicators. Your father is a devil. But wonderful that you and I as Gentiles, nation people, outside of Judaism, are now the children of God. And we can say Abraham is our father. I was, I've been visiting these, this Jewish family. And I said kind of an off, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, he's 96 years old and he, he said, I don't, I don't want to hear are you saying something bad about the Jews? He said, I don't want to hear it. If you're saying anything bad about us Jews, I don't want to hear it. And I said to him, to calm him down, he's 96. I said, I'm a Jew too. And he looked at me a little strange. I said, yeah, I'm a Jew too. I said, I have the faith of Abraham. I'm one of Abraham's children. I'm a spiritual offspring of it. And I totally took him off God and took away that sting of trying to be accusatory to the Jews. I wouldn't do that. I love people. I love Jewish people, Gentile people, whoever. I love abound toward all men. Love our neighbor as ourselves. But he was daunted by the fact that I could call myself a Jew. Because I've been circumcised on the inward parts. And if you're saved, you're circumcised inwardly. What is that? And who circumcised you? Jesus. And even females, by the way. All brothers and sisters are spiritually circumcised inwardly. Because we've been given new hearts. We have had the flesh that interfered with communion with God. Now removed and now we have a spiritual life with the birth that has come with the salvation that we have received by having Christ set before us graphically. The hymn writer puts it so beautifully. He says, Vain is the thought of man to merit heaven by prayer. Tis only Jesus' precious blood could give admission there. Could ceaseless prayers ascend or tears forever flow? The soul is still unsaved, unblessed. With peace with God will never know. But faith's one look at Christ expiring on the tree, one heart-believing glance at Him can set the prisoner free. 
One hot believing glance at Him. And Paul wants the Galatians to have another fresh glance at Jesus so that they can be set free. May we have those fresh glances of Jesus Christ evidently portrayed as crucified so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have with the crucified one who is now the enthroned one who is our great and merciful high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us whose garment dangles down that we can reach out and touch and by the touch of that garment the virtue, the power of the Lord is available to us to bring us up out of the doldrums out of the valley of despond so that we can have a life filled with the Spirit and have what is the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, that we can have all of that evident in our lives. May the Lord help us in that way. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for the truths that it contains. And Lord, it may be very easy for us intellectually sometimes to grasp these truths, but spiritually, Lord, we find ourselves falling short of living the life that we should be living and understanding the things that we should understand to help us, Lord, to appreciate the Jesus that not just died, but who rose from the dead, who gives us ongoing liberty so that, Lord, we don't need to try to uh, show up and, and make uh, a brownie points with you, Lord, as it were, to sort of gain your approval. Lord, we thank you that we're accepted in the Beloved and that our lives are wrapped up with the life of Christ we just ask, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of clinging to you, loving you, loving our brothers and sisters, believing, Lord, that you are truly God and that you are our Father in heaven and that we're justified by faith in Jesus and your justice has been maintained. Receive our praise, O Lord. Have mercy on anyone that's struggling, Lord, with their unbelief. May you give them faith to trust you. And we that are believers, Lord, that if we're going through difficult times, we're lonely, we're depressed, We pray that you would lift up our spirits and that we would, like Stephen, look up and see the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand. Not seating, seated, or sat, sitting, but rather standing. Lord, thank you that you stand for us, that you're there to succor us, to work for us, to intervene and intercede for us so that we don't succumb to our own sinful and rebellious and sometimes just despairing thoughts. Lift us, Lord, we pray Thee, so that we can walk the life that the book of Galatians tells us to live, a life in the Spirit. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.